Hello and welcome to another SPAC Insider Podcast. I'm Nick Clayton, and this week my colleague Marlena Haddad and I will be speaking with Steve Van Til, CEO of Brevo. Brevo entered into an $800 million combination agreement with Crown PropTech Acquisitions in November. It is a technology firm providing cloud-connected hardware allowing clients to remotely manage their properties. Customers also gain access to data and business intelligence insights from the aggregate activity across Brevo's network. We discuss how the pandemic changed the prop tech business in lasting ways, and what new tech layers Brevo plans to add to its growing portfolio. Crown PropTech CEO Ricky Chera also joins to give the SPAC side and customer side view of the transaction. Take a listen. So I just want to start with you, Steve. You know, through 22 years, you've probably seen so much change in the space we now call PropTech. Just how different was Brevo back in 1999? And when did you really start to see the first changes that are now really defining the, the PropTech space? So how different was Brevo? I think there's two ways to answer that question. One is how different were we from all the other companies that were around back then? And then the second way would be how different are we then from where we are now? So I'll start with the first one. We were the first cloud company to enter the space. Uh, and of course, the term prop tech hadn't been born yet at that point. In fact, the term cloud wasn't even in use until 2006 or so. But we started out with a cloud-based model. And you know the technology was obviously different because there weren't the public cloud platforms like Amazon Web Services and Google Cloud that are out there today. So it was really a roll-your-own environment. And in the early days, we found um, a major part of the task was simply proselytizing about the benefits of the cloud. People didn't know enough about it. They kind of knew about the dot-com era. They knew about e-commerce. But the cloud as a business platform was virtually unknown. And if you think back, Salesforce.com, which is probably the, the best known of the early cloud companies, they were just getting started in 1999 as well. So that was a, a pretty big difference between us and every other kind of software business that was around back then. If I compare Brevo today to Brevo back then, uh, we started from outside the security industry, which is uh, in large measure why we brought fairly different ideas to the table than what people had in both the security and and the fledgling uh, smart building uh, industry. And so uh, a lot of the ideas that we started then were coming from outside the industry, more informed by uh, my background and uh, other tech industries like satellite communications, telephony, healthcare, things like that. Today, I would say that both uh, Brevo as a company and the industry as a whole is matured, and there's much more depth in terms of product sets uh, and customer understanding of what those product sets mean. That's been a welcome change. And then to focus really on the last three years, maybe three to four years, when a lot of new investment has come into prop tech and made it uh, clear to everyone that there's huge value in connecting both individual buildings and entire portfolios to cloud services, mobile services, data services. That's been a real uh, sea change in terms of how people think about what we're doing. Right. Yeah. And for you, Ricky, you've been looking at the big picture of property investments through both Rewire and Crown for quite some time. What do you think has been the biggest switch that has driven the market recently? Is it co-working pop-ups or the labor shortages? And, and how did Brevo first come onto your radar? So um, great question. So we've actually seen this way before the, the co-working uh, craze um, and uh, definitely before the labor shortages that the markets are experiencing now. Uh, we identified uh, the need for a company similar to Brevo at least a decade ago. We knew that technology has disrupted so many other industries. 
and uh, being active in the real estate industry for uh, close to two decades. And then prior to that, just having that, um, that exposure, being in the family business for so many years, we saw as technology disrupts other industries, we knew it was going to affect uh, this huge asset class, such as real estate. But we knew that in trying to identify and find a company that was going to make a, a major impact and a major change, it would need to have the ability to scale and to also have a team that was seasoned and experienced to be able to capitalize uh, on that vision. Um, and when we found Brevo, we knew that it really checked the boxes for so many of the qualities we were looking for in a company. Um, so for us, it was a natural fit. Um, and you know, being a user of Brevo and some of our properties, we knew how well the product worked and how also how the integrators of their products were so much happier with their product versus some of the competitors out there. It, it was just a, a natural fit for us uh, to, to be able to, to have this merger happen. And for Steve, to get into Brevo's specific business model, what is your rollout like for each property? How early do you get involved with developers in order to integrate Brevo's technology into their design? And how does your revenue from each building change over time? Good question. So there's quite a bit of variety. And I think the first thing that you'd need to be aware of to understand the context of my answer would be that Unlike some other technologies and companies that are focused on new construction, 95 plus percent of our customers are in existing buildings and they could be tenants in a building, they could be the property manager, the owner of the building, but 95 plus percent of our rollouts are in existing buildings. And so what those tend to look like are people moving into a new space or expanding to another space or having started in one geography and now multiplying uh, to a greater geography. Uh, Whole Foods, who's mentioned in our investor presentation is a great example of that where we started out in five properties and now we're in about 270 marching on to all 500 of their retail locations in the US. So most of those from a purchase cycle standpoint look like um, getting on our radar perhaps three to six months before an installation actually happens uh, in larger enterprise applications or commercial real estate applications. There will usually be a small trial from you know one to five buildings or something like that before they commit to an entire portfolio. And then the portfolio rollout itself can take anywhere from a year to two years, something like that, depending really on the urgency of the product for the client and simply how many assets they have to, to outfit with our technology. And you also appear to have lined up a fair amount of large customers and partners. You mentioned Whole Foods that help you keep a steady flow of sourcing projects. What can you tell us about those relationships? So they've changed over the years. This is another way that there's been a shift in how the industry works with uh, customers. In the early days, almost everything that went into a building was done by a systems integrator. And that's still how we deliver all of our products is, is through the 1,500 plus systems integrators that are out there pulling wires and, and installing things in these buildings. So they still are a very important part of fulfillment. But the upfront relationship with these larger clients in particular has a lot to do with the SaaS characteristics, the cybersecurity vetting of the product, um, 
APIs are a major part of what people look for right now. Integrations, not only with other smart building and security products, but with other software platforms, identity platforms, and things like that. And so the buyer has gone from being typically somebody that looked like a facility manager or a security administrator 10 years ago to being somebody that's in the CIO's office and is more concerned with information, data, cybersecurity, and how this fits into the overall corporate ecosystem of enterprise applications that they have already. Yeah, and kind of a corollary of that, every software company likes to brag about how sticky they are, you know, and we already talked about how you over time have differed from a lot of the other cloud companies that are out there. Um, but, you know, in the case of Brevo, once you're in, you're literally a part of the building. So could you just talk a bit more about how, how that dynamic plays out with Brevo as opposed to, you know, a Salesforce or just other, other SaaS cloud companies that are out there? Sure. The, the fact that our, our subscription revenue is anchored by you know, something that's physically installed, and it's not just one thing, literally every uh, point of entry, every elevator, uh, what have you, does have a physical piece of electronics that's uh, installed there and then talks back to the cloud. People tend to treat those as, as fixtures of the building. You know, you don't change out the wiring in your building. You don't change out the plumbing in your building. And you don't change out the access control in your building unless there's a compelling reason to. So what we've seen is a steady stream of customers coming in who want to get off those older kinds of server-based systems, who want to get into a cloud-based system. And once they're with us, they tend to stick around forever. We have customers that are going on eight 18 years with us. And overall, the retention or renewal rate for us has been 95% very consistently for a long time. If you compare to almost any other industry, uh, enterprise applications in general, renewal rates uh, hover around 89, 90%, something like that. If you're looking at cellular, of course, turnover is a fact of life. If you're looking at streaming subscriptions, they're extremely high. So I think if you compare to almost any subscription based industry, you're going to find that we are at the top of the renewal charts. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that we're physically anchored inside the, uh, the real estate itself. Yeah. And, and kind of going into that as well, you mentioned that you've been with some of these clients for a very long time and you've probably had certain things that have been installed for quite a long time, but you do uh, show in your materials that you are expecting that software and recurring chunk of your revenue to, to make up a larger part of the mix over hardware sales uh, in each of the, the next several years. Can you talk about how that transition is happening and, and what is really driving that, um, that subscription side to really grow? Sure. The, the simplest way to understand that, again, if you look at the um, history of the company, we started off when we first launched, we had exactly one subscription line item that people could buy from us. And now we have over two dozen. And so the depth of the subscription relationship that we have with customers has gone up dramatically in the sense that they've got more things in the subscription store that they can buy from us. And going forward, we're going to continue to pursue that same strategy of adding more and more things that they can, they can use. So for example, in the past uh, few years, we've introduced visitor management as uh, adjunct to the platform. That's something that's uh, become very popular. People can just add that right in. Now we have newer things that are um, using some artificial intelligence and neural networks that they can subscribe to either a la carte or what we're seeing more and more now is that people are adopting things at the three tier levels that we have, which is standard, professional, and enterprise. And so people can do wholesale upgrades to the subscription relationship with us. And that's been uh, a very important part of increasing our average revenue per account over time. 
And so the prop tech space has been majorly impacted by a lot of the big macro trends of the past few years. How did Brevo fare during the pandemic? And are things like the present labor shortages impacting the business at all? So during the first four or five months after lockdown, so for the first four or five months after March of 2020, the biggest impact to the business was that our systems integrators could not physically get into customer locations to do installations. People, uh, if you recall that time, were, were freaked out and didn't understand what protocols would work for having people inside the building. So a lot of them just said, nobody comes in. We bounced back uh, within about four or five months to uh, the levels of new installs that we'd been at in February of 2020. So there was a, a V-shaped recovery, if you remember uh, how those terms were being bounced around at the time. Since then, if you look at really the second half of the pandemic. So if you look at 2021 versus 2020, we grew by 25% plus in that year. And so I think the trend there has been magnified by the pandemic in two important respects. One, everybody became aware of how important it was to have remote control of your building, as well as the population of people who are using it. And so being able to manage a building, manage all those physical devices we talked about before, that became a priority. But the second part of that, managing the people, meant a big shift from using traditional cards and fobs for delegating access to people and shifting over to mobile. And in fact, we just announced our, our millionth uh, mobile credential having been issued a couple of months ago. Then the other big part of the, the shift that accounts uh, for some of the growth is that with a movement toward hybrid working patterns, with a movement toward more co-working spaces, things of that nature, I believe that the density of access control devices per square foot of real estate is actually going up. So in commercial office space, which is to say, you know, white collar information worker space, you've got these two countervailing trends. One, people are using less real estate because people are working from home more often. And, and you hear about that trend a lot. The part that you don't hear about is that they're putting more access control per square foot in those spaces. And so those two are in a dynamic that I believe is resulting in a net increase in consumption there. But as I've mentioned in uh, other contexts, we have a very, very broad customer base. Uh, only part of our customer base is in those uh, white collar spaces that we all think of first when we think of commercial real estate. We've literally got everything from agriculture to zoos in our portfolio. And so we're very broadly participating in the entire economy, not just the part that's subject to remote work and, and work from home and those kinds of things. And then more on the product side, your suite gives property managers a lot of data to chew on. So what are some of those insights in there that your average person just might not think about much, but make a big difference? The number one thing that people are focused on right now is occupancy. And they're using that to understand, first of all, how many people are choosing to come back and, and work. And then secondly, what they should do going forward. And so that data becomes very important there. Another example would be uh, everybody's concerned with uh, sustainability. And so that's an area where we participate with other platforms by supplying occupancy data, people coming in, people going out to other energy optimization platforms that then uh, tell a client that uh, they're doing better or worse than same time last year or same time last month. And so those are two examples of ways that data is becoming much more useful and much more relevant to uh, both owners and operators, as well as tenants inside of these spaces.
Totally. And, and so moving over to the, the transaction side of things, now that's kind of a question for both of you in a way. And that, Steve, you know, why did you ultimately decide to opt for a SPAC listing rather than continued private raises or an IPO? And for Ricky, what made it seem like Brevo was at that inflection point and ready for a public listing? So for us, it, it was really clear. We are not just a financial investor, we're actually a user of the product. So we had this very unique perspective that allowed us to truly evaluate what Brevo's offerings were and be able to comp it to what, what's out there in the market. And when we did that and we saw the vast delta between where Brevo is and where their competitors are, we knew that this was a company that um, not only stood on you know, two decades of experience with a seasoned team and excellent products, we knew from a financial perspective this was a perfect opportunity to use the SPAC vehicle to be able to give them the public markets and the liquidity they need to continue to grow and scale well, well beyond their competitors, not just in the access control. And as Steve had said, being that center of the universe, that center of the ecosystem of any physical building gives you so many more data points that allow them to interconnect to other systems, whether it's energy management, whether it's user experience, et cetera. And even beyond that, so if you take that data, you can then reverse it and help architects and engineers design more efficient buildings. So for us, this was a natural fit and the SPAC vehicle was a perfect match and combination really designed for companies like Revo to be able to take them to the public markets. So picking up where Ricky left off, there were really three things for us. One was the, the amount of capital. Second thing was the cost of capital. And the third thing was the partnership with a prop tech focused investment vehicle. And I would say that at the end of the day, that was the biggest differentiator because while there are certainly many sources of private capital out there that are prop tech focused and that are uh, operating in this space, one of the big things that was different about Ricky and his team was the uh, history of operating experience in this sector, not just investing experience in the sector, but actual operating experience in the sector. And that was very important to us because it provided a source of understanding the customer and understanding operators' needs at a much deeper level than uh, we thought we would get with some generic money that, that could be out there and also had. Certainly. And, and I wanted to talk also about the fact that the, you know, the company's post-transaction board looks poised to have a big influx of talent uh, as a result of this transaction as well. And sort of for both of you, you know, you know, why do you think that those, some of those additions are going to be important? Can you get a little bit more into the expertise that Crown PropTech is bringing into the post-transaction company as well? Sure. So uh, I'll take it from the Crown PropTech side and I'll let Steve address the, the new talent that he hopes to have in, in, in the future. So from our perspective, Crown PropTech is really a, a merger of teams um, both from the operating side and asset ownership side, as well as the technology side. So part of that in my role also uh, sits as the CEO of a company called Rewire, which is a prop tech aggregator. And that company essentially aggregates hundreds of technology companies that service the property industry. And, and we have teams of people that literally create software that curates all of the types of companies similar to Brevo. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're able to do a comp set to, to not only their competitors, but periphery around uh, where Brevo will eventually play in, um, if not today, in the, in the near future, as Brevo builds their offering out. So for us, we saw this from a, a really technological aspect that we knew would help 
building owners operate, own, design, build buildings much, much more efficiently in the future. And that efficiency is, is being demanded by lenders, by, um, by investors, from all, all angles that efficiency is, is coming in, as well as, of course, sustainability efforts, uh, which, which Brigio is going to you know, have in their horizon as well. I'll add to that with two other categories of expertise that uh, we're expecting to bring in. One is, uh, this is Brevo's transition to being a public company. And so having additional public company expertise at the board level, as well as in some of the new executive roles that we've brought in or, or will be bringing in, that's certainly one big component there. Then the second thing would be scaling and working with people who have been in entrepreneurial ventures that scaled rapidly to not just the scale we're at today, of course, but 10 times the scale that we're at today. And that is in itself um, a discipline, a very important one that benefits from folks who have done it before and understanding both what the opportunities are and what the pitfalls are and being able to steer through all of that. So that would be the second thing we're looking for. And for Ricky, you clearly have spent a lot of time evaluating the value of prop tech solutions. So what do you think are the most critical aspects for investors to look at with Brevo in assessing its value? So um, we look at the two consistent components here. We look at um, the technology itself, where they are in the spectrum of the, the entire uh, offerings that they have where they are relative to their competitors, where they are relative to the, need, the needs of building owners and operators. And then the second aspect is, is the actual team, the company, the foundation that it's built on. So with those combined together, we feel that um, there is in terms of ranking uh, of what we've seen out there as a SPAC and viewing other companies, they're head and shoulders above uh, anything that we've really seen out there for those two combined efforts together. And Steve, what advantages with a public listing are you most excited about leveraging moving forward? I think the, the visibility is much higher with a public listing. And so that's, that's an important thing, uh, particularly with other enterprise companies that are themselves public. I think there's a level of um, uh, trust that comes from that because of the, the visibility and, and the, the, the uh, view toward what's actually happening in the company that a lot of companies feel more comfortable with when they can, they can have that degree of understanding. The, the second thing, of course, we do have a, a pipeline of M&A interests uh, at this point, and we certainly understand that that's uh, a much more achievable part of our growth story uh, with a, a public company than, than with a private company. And so I think that's another contributing factor. Uh, I hasten to add, though, that the projections that we've made and that are public already do not actually incorporate any of that. So that would all be upside, but I think very interesting upside. Great. And I wanted to get into those potential m and moves as well a little bit, just in terms of from where you sit and having uh, already built this company for a long time, you, I'm sure you have a great sense of what can be done in-house efficiently versus, you know, what, you know, you want to source from outside and with a, a, a transaction. And so what are sort of the things that you've been looking for most with? I, I saw that you're planning on putting some proceeds towards building out the, the sales side. Is that, is there a potential to gain you know, a large client base through potentially through M&A? Or are you mostly looking at, uh, at particular tech pieces? you like that? More of the latter, looking at more tech pieces, looking at uh, functionality that we don't necessarily have today. One thing um, I'll say is that uh, the, the space we're sitting in, particularly since the addition of uh, mobile quite a few years ago, has become much more experientially focused than, than just security or, or building efficiency focused. And the 
the fact that we've sold a million of these uh, applications that allow people to come in and go to buildings with with their mobile phone means that we've now got um, a very healthy platform out there for growing additional services that are actually aimed at the building occupiers as opposed to just the building owners. And as I'm sure Ricky will tell you, the people who are considering uh, tenancy in, in modern properties are looking for those digital tools. They're looking for the ability to interact with the property and with the property's management by way of a mobile application. And that's become a differentiator when people are making new lease decisions or making decisions about whether they want to stay where they are. So I think being aligned with those interests of the owners uh, is a very important part. And a lot of those same interests actually obtain for uh, companies in terms of evaluating what the workplace looks like and whether they're creating the kind of workplace that employees want to come back into. And I think um, particularly with the younger generations of people who are in the workforce, that ability to interact digitally is a very important one. That's how we and they interact with the rest of the world. And to have that be absent from the workplace or from the, the properties that you're using, that's just a big, big absence that I think hurts people that aren't uh, making those investments in digital transformation. Yeah, totally. And Ricky, I saw you nodding a lot there. Do you have anything to, to add on, on that point? Yeah, it, actually, it's it's a very interesting point that, that Steve brought up, which is uh, the tenants and whether you're acquiring new tenants into your building or retaining tenants. I personally, as well as my senior management team, on a very consistent basis every month throughout the year, uh, make sure we, we go and have tenant interviews. So we are literally meeting decision makers for all of our tenants. And just yesterday, I came back from a tenant interview for a property we own in Connecticut. And by far and away, the most important features that they always want to have in their buildings is good user experience that's controlled by a, a digital experience. And that always uh, starts with the access control, how they have their team members entering the building, where they're spending their time, uh, as well as uh, how easy it is to have their guests arrive and, and depart. So that's all part and parcel to how Brevo's uh, entire foundation of their system is built on. We think it's really only the beginning. So when we made this investment decision, we looked at Brevo no different than uh, in the last 20 years, how many of the major tech companies, as we all know, uh, one started as a bookseller, one started as a search engine, one started as a social network, one started as a messaging app, but we all know beyond that, you're able to scale into different lines of adjacencies, but nobody has really taken that and been able to do that in the physical world. Starting with 20 plus million users, that's a huge advantage over any one of the companies that I just named um, has never started with that effect. So for us, there's you know that head start that they have 20 plus million users and getting into the physical buildings, um, which makes it extremely unique. Great. The last question I wanted to touch on is just on the technological side, like what is the thing that you think uh, you're most excited about and thing that um, you're, you're excited to see integrated into the market and, and into your own portfolio sometime soon? I'd say there's two things. And I, I talked about one of them already, which is the fact that who the user is, is changing for us. So to me, this really opens up the world of what it is that we can deliver and the kinds of services and the kinds of apps that we're developing now that they're aimed at occupiers, uh, which is sort of the industry term for the people using buildings, but more commonly tenants or employees, what have you. So that's a new part of uh, a user base that we can serve. So to me, that is an exciting thing just because of the richness of services that that group 
wants as opposed to kind of the traditional facility manager, security manager group, which is still important, but limited set of interests compared to uh, the broader interests of the, the occupier population. And then the second thing that really spans all of those categories that I'm personally very interested in is what we're doing with data. And so we started a new data platform underneath the application about three years ago. We launched it about a year and a half ago. And so since then, we've done several new feature or product offerings that sit on top of that. But to me, the, the future is really unlimited in terms of what we're able to do and what people are going to want to do with us. So we started with um, an open business intelligence tool that's embedded in there based on the recognition that no matter how much you study your customers and how well you think you know them, you can never anticipate all of their needs, especially in the data analytics arena. So by giving them an open tool that they can configure to do what they want, we were able to satisfy a lot of requests from very diverse points of view that we couldn't do before. Then in the AI category, there's a couple of very practical things that we've been able to do already. One is a feature that extracts uh, individual video images that would be of interest for understanding an access control event that saves people tons of time. So you, know, you cut through all of the, the AI jargon, what's this thing doing for our customers? It's saving them tons of time. The other thing, the anomaly detection that we do with neural networks, again, cutting through all the jargon, what does it do for customers? It can actually find things. It can find that needle in the haystack that really you couldn't do even with spending hundreds of hours a week on it uh, as an individual, which, which would be impossible. And so it's giving people uh, insight that would be unobtainable through human means. And that's a really important thing that we can do with data as well. Great. Well, before I let you gentlemen go, is there any update in terms of the, the timeline for the, the closing of the transaction? Uh, we're probably looking at late second quarter. Okay, great. Well, yeah. uh, there's a lot to look forward to both in the prop tech space and with Brevo. We're certainly going to be very interested and, and excited to see how you guys put everything together moving forward. But thanks so much for being on. Awesome.